this sermon is titled Mentoring, Coaching and Nurturing People Part 1 Be enriched as you listen A testimony that came in You all like testimonies? Okay, so this one came in earlier this month uh, This person wrote He said, I want to share the Lord's goodness and grace uh, For us as a family so he goes back to December of last year. They were going through a difficult time financially, uh, dryness in their work and so on. God was graciously sustaining them. Middle of December, somewhere around that time, he came for prayer. One of our pastors prayed for him. And uh, at that time, the pastor mentioned to him, he says, I see waters gushing out. So he just spoke that word over him. And uh, he also received the word of the Lord at the beginning of the year. Your breakthrough is coming. That also encouraged him and his family. Uh, they were expectant, expecting a breakthrough. And then he shares how uh, this, this March, just a few, few months after that, he said things be, just dramatically changed in his business. It was truly gushing of waters. Um, the business began, uh, things began to flow beyond what we could think or imagine. All glory to God for his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Thank God for that amazing work in his business so that he and his family could be blessed. Amen. Just getting a little echo here, so if you could please handle that, or maybe it's my position. Uh, okay. Are you ready to spend some time in God's Word? All right. So starting today, we are going to talk about uh, something that's very, very important for us as a church community, something that we want to see developed in us, and something that all of us can participate in. And so uh, this sermon series is very intentional uh, to build us up in this particular area. I want us to spend some time talking about mentoring, coaching, and nurturing. This might sound like you're back in the office. Relax, you're in church. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about mentoring, coaching, and nurturing people. And as we progress, you'll understand why this is so important. And we really want to see everybody, all of us involved, engaged in this process of mentoring and coaching and nurturing those around us. And we really want to see this as part of, as part of our church culture, the culture of our, our community, that it just becomes normal and natural for us to mentor, coach, and nurture one another uh, in our journey with God and in other things in life. So I've broken this sermon series into four parts. We will do two sermons this month, today and next Sunday. We'll have a break the following Sunday, and then we'll pick it up uh, in early May, two Sundays in May. So in part one, we're going to talk about creating a culture of mentoring, coaching, and nurturing people. In part two, we'll talk about how to do this. How do you mentor? How do you coach? How do you nurture somebody? Uh, and remember, we're approaching it from a biblical perspective, so not just a pure, you know, organizational or cultural, uh, corporate perspective, but from a spiritual, biblical perspective. Then, in part three, we'll talk about guidelines and pitfalls to avoid. Now, how to do it right, and what are the things we should avoid? Right, so before you run off and start mentoring somebody, wait till part three. Okay? After you heard part three, then please jump in. Okay? So please be patient. 
uh, assimilate these things, wait till you know, we cover that ground in part three on some guidelines and pitfalls to avoid uh, before you start doing it. And then in part four, we'll just sum it up by talking about some positive outcomes of a mentoring culture. This is something we really want to see develop in us as a church community. You know, we are doing it to some measure, but we want to see it become better and stronger amongst us. So let's get started. Are you excited? A little bit, maybe. <laughs> let's get started. You know, the person sitting next to you is a living stone. So you look at them and say, you're a living stone. <laughs> the Bible, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, Peter says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter's writing to believers. He's saying, you are living stones. See, each one of us are living stones. Now, living stones are different from dead stones, from bricks or concrete blocks. Just think about some obvious differences. Living stones grow. Dead stones, bricks don't grow. <laughs> Living stones move. Bricks don't. Living stones have feelings. Bricks, concrete blocks have no feelings. <laughs> Living stones are cemented together through relationships. Through relationships. That's how we are all put together. And another big distinction is, not all living stones are alike. Bricks and concrete blocks, they all look the same. They come out of the same mold. But living stones, every living stone is different, is unique. So the point is this, the way we work with living stones is very different from working with concrete blocks or bricks. It's very different. And what Peter is telling us in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 is he's saying, you know, God is building a spiritual house made out, made up of these living stones, you and me. So God is putting together this spiritual house. And you and I are those building blocks. People are those building blocks. And out of that spiritual house, there will be praise and worship ascending to God. So we are being put together into the spiritual house, and we are living stones. And so we need to know how we can work together to become that spiritual house through which praise and worship ascends to God. The Apostle Paul he uses different pictures, different metaphors when he, he talks about God's people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, he says this. Let's read it out together. For you are God, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. 
So he's saying, look, we, he's identifying himself and others who are ministering with him. He says, we are God's fellow workers. We are co-workers with God. But you, God's people, you are God's field. You are God's building. So one very important thing, ministry is about people. The church and Christian ministry is about people. Yes, we need good organization. But the organization is not the, is not the ministry. We need good, you know, all these other natural things, administration, all those things that go on. But that itself is not the ministry. Ministry is about people. Paul says, you, people, are God's field. You, people, are God's building. Amen? So if you want to do ministry but you don't like people, hey, you first love people <laughs> because you cannot do ministry without relating that to people because ministry is about people. Are you listening? And Paul says here that, and he uses metaphor, there's a field, God, you are God's field, you are God's building. A field needs to be plowed, it needs to be sown into, it needs to be watered, it needs to be fertilized, it needs to be nurtured, it needs to be protected. It says, you are God's fields. It says, you are God's building. A building doesn't just happen. Just because you've got a huge number of concrete blocks doesn't mean you've got a building. Because in order to have a building, you need to have a plan. You need to have a design. You need to have structure. You need to have order. You can have a pile of bricks. It's not the same as having a building. You can have a gathering of people. It doesn't mean you have a spiritual house. Are you understanding? Because to have a house, to have a building... The rocks, the, the building blocks have to be in place. You need to have a plan. You need to have a design. You need to have a structure to make that happen. And so that's what we are journeying into. That's what we're trying to understand. That for us to become that spiritual house, it's not just about gathering people together. You need to have a plan. You need to have a structure. You need to have design. Put people in the right place and we can have a spiritual house that offers praise and worship to God and carries out the work that God wants us to do. So our goal is for us as a church to become a nurturing community. To be a community where we can nurture these living stones. Where we can bring these living stones into their place so that we can become this spiritual house. You all with me so far? And as part of this mentoring, coaching, nurturing process, our goal is to develop people to become better than us. Amen? What's our goal? To develop people to become better than us. So when somebody comes and says, hey, one of your people preaches better than you. Hallelujah. I've done my job well. And somebody comes and tells me, hey, one of your people has a bigger church than you. Hallelujah, I've done my job well. If somebody I've nurtured 
goes higher, further, deeper, greater, and bigger than what I've done, then I have done my job well. If they're all lesser than me, then I'm not doing a good job, really. I understand it. Because the whole objective of nurturing people is for them to be better than you. We will see this as we go into the scriptures. So, why do we need to engage in this mentoring, coaching, and nurturing of people as a church community? We can understand it from an organizational perspective. You know, when in your workplace, in your corporate place, workplace, yeah, you're there, they talk a lot about mentoring and coaching and nurturing. But why do we need to talk about it here in a church context? What, what relevance does it have? Let's look at it from two perspectives. One from a calling perspective, and two from a benefits perspective. First of all, you and I are called to do this. We are called to be disciples, and we are called to be disciple makers. Jesus called all of us to be his disciples. And he told us, go and make disciples. Now, Disciple is just the old word. The modern contemporary word is mentoring, coaching, nurturing. They are just synonymous. So don't get so stuck up on that word disciple. Well, it's just use a modern word. Mentoring, coaching, nurturing. Same thing. Jesus called us to be his disciples, and he told us to go and make disciples. And if we are going to make disciples, we have of necessity to engage in this process of mentoring and coaching and nurturing. That means we got to work with people, develop people, build them up. That's discipleship. So there is a calling. You and I are called to be disciples and to make disciples. It's a calling for all of us. But let's look at it from a benefits perspective. What are the benefits? And I've itemized three of these. One, we need to create a mentoring, coaching, nurturing culture because that's how we are going to develop people spiritually. We're going to develop people spiritually as we work with them. Second, that's how we're going to have leaders in the church. And the Bible talks about leaders as pillars in the church. You see this building? There are at least 10 pillars, maybe more, but you can count them. One, two, three, four, five, five on the other side, and there are probably more at the back here. If you have only one pillar, all you've got is a flagpole. You can only wave your own flag. But if you want to have a building, you've got to have many pillars. That's how you have a building. The same thing with the local church. If you want to have a house, you've got to have many pillars, meaning many leaders. You cannot have a building with just one pillar. So, number two. Why do we need to engage in this mentoring, coaching, nurturing process? Because we need many leaders. Only then you can have a building. Are you all with me so far? We will get into the scriptures on this. And the third thing is this, because God wants us to pass on the spiritual legacy 
to the generations to come. And in order to pass something on, especially the spiritual legacy, you need to engage with people. And you need to mentor. You need to coach. You need to nurture people so that the spiritual legacy can be passed on. Let's look at these three things from Scripture this morning. So, number one, we need to nurture and develop people spiritually. If you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the apostle John is writing to a community of believers, and this is what he says. He says, I write to you fathers, everybody say fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, everybody say young men, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children, everybody say little children, because you've known the father. Same thing in verse 14. I have written to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Notice the three categories of people that John is writing to you. I'm writing to you fathers. I'm writing to you young men. I'm writing to you little children. Or he might as well have said, I'm writing to you mothers. I'm writing to you young women. I'm writing to you little children. Doesn't matter. The point is, there are people at different stages of spiritual growth and development. There are those who are fathers. There are those who are young in their faith. And then there are those who are like little children in their faith. And as in any household, the fathers and mothers, they take care of the young ones and the little children. And the young ones, hopefully, help take care of the little children as well. And so also in the house of God. Are you with me? So in the community of believers, there are people in different stages. And almost every Sunday, we give an opportunity for people to receive Jesus. They raise their hands. We all clap. They're born again. They're born into the kingdom of God. But they need to be developed, nurtured in their faith. And then there are people who come in, you know, they're in a different, they're a different stage of their spiritual journey. We don't know where they are. There may be some who are still like little children. There, are, there may be some who are like young men and young women in the faith, and they need to be helped and nurtured. And of course, there will be those who are fathers and mothers who are mature, who are, who, who've already been in the Lord for a while. They're strong, firm, and they're able to care for others. So there are all kinds of people in the local community of believers. Now, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Titus, but just a little background. Titus was a young man whom the apostle Paul nurtured in the faith. In fact, the apostle Paul brought Titus to the Lord. This most likely would have happened in a city called Antioch of Syria. Uh, this was the home church, or the home base for the Apostle Paul. So Paul, when he came out of his silent years, he came into the city of Antioch. He began his ministry from there. And at that time, he led this young man, Titus, to the Lord. Titus was Greek, meaning he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. Paul brought him to the Lord. And Paul nurtured him. And uh, Paul so discipled him that in the very first council of the church, and this is around AD 49, almost 20 years after the church had begun, 
there was a council in Jerusalem where the elders, the leaders got together and they had to discuss what do we do with Gentiles who come to faith in Christ? What do we do with them? And to that council, Barnabas and Paul, they took Titus along. Said, Titus, come with us. You are a living proof, a living testimony of what it's like for a non-Jew to believe in Jesus Christ. So they took Titus along. And, you know, he became show-and-tell story for Paul. This is Titus. He's a believer. But Paul so nurtured Titus that uh, as you journey through the book of Acts, after Paul had been in Rome for two years under house arrest, he was released temporarily for a brief period of time. And this we're journeying into around AD 63 to AD 67. Paul journeyed back to an island called Crete, which was which is part of Greece. And he appointed Titus to take care of the churches that were in that island, the island of Crete. You all with me? So he said, Titus, I want you to take care of the churches here. And then from there he journeyed up north to Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city uh, in the re on, on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. So he went up there to Ephesus, and he appointed Timothy, another, one, another young man whom Paul had nurtured. He said, Timothy, I want you to take care of the church here in Ephesus and the neighboring churches. He put Timothy in charge. Then he journeyed back through Macedonia, and on his way back, he wrote the epistle to Titus, and he wrote 1 Timothy to Timothy. He went back to Rome. Back in Rome, he wrote, wrote his last epistle, which was 2 Timothy. After, shortly after that, he was beheaded in Rome. So Titus, the epistle to Titus is a very important one. It's a mature epistle, meaning it's being written almost, almost 40 years, around 1865, thereabouts. So almost 20, 35 years after the birth of the church. Are you with me so far? So it's a very mature epistle. And look at what Paul writes to Titus. If you go with me to Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, Paul is writing to Titus. Where is Titus? Guys, you were listening to me? <laughs> Where is Titus? Mediterranean Sea? No, 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 no. Where is Titus? On the island of Crete. Right? South of Greece. He's, he's there. He's, he's, like, he's a bishop. He's in charge of all the churches. Paul is writing to him. Titus chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So he's saying, Titus, I want you to teach sound doctrine. Teach them good stuff, good, good doctrine. And what is it? Telling him, verse 2. That the older men be sober. Reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Verse 4. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Verse 6, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, 
in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that, that one who is, a, who is an op opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So notice Paul says, you teach this. This is good stuff. This is sound doctrine. This is what I want you to be teaching in the church. See, we're teaching good doctrine. All right. What does he tell Titus? He says, Titus, older men, notice the two categories again. Older men, older women. Younger women, younger men. And what's he saying? The older folks exhort and admonish the younger people. That's all I want to bring out to us here. That means the older ones pour into the lives of the younger ones. Now, you're sitting there and saying, Pastor, I escaped. I'm neither young nor old. Somewhere in between. No, you haven't escaped. So when we talk about the older, don't think about those in the 90s. You know, don't think about that. Think it like, look at it like this. If you are a teenager, you're older to the younger ones. You can impart into them. If you're in a 20, if you're a 20 year old, you're older to the teenagers. You can impart into the teen teens. If you're in your 30s or your 40s, you're older to those who are in their 20s. You can impart into their life and so on. Are you with me? Think about it like that. The older exhort, encourage. And if you look at the Greek meaning of those words, it means you teach, you train, you urge, you beseech, you give them a sound mind, you help them understand. So older, work with the younger. And we can do it across all ages. And you see, young people need it. The book of Proverbs was written for that explicit purpose. As King Solomon, wise King Solomon, begins writing Proverbs, he expresses his intent. He says, this is why I'm writing this book. Proverbs chapter 1, he says, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. He says, I'm writing this book because I want to pass on something to the young people. Can you imagine, young people? You've got a book written just for you by King Solomon. He says, young people, I want to give you something. I want to give you prudence, meaning common sense, practical. We call it being streetwise. Yeah. I want to give you some understanding. I want to give you some knowledge. And for the sake of them, you young people, I'm writing this book. This Bible has a whole book dedicated for the young people. Written by King Solomon. It says, to the young people, I want to give wisdom. I want to give prudence. I want to give knowledge. And so we, 
older people who've got some experience, some learning, we can impart into the younger ones. And the Bible tells us to do it. It's an instruction from the great apostle Paul. It says, tell the older people. They need, they need to admonish. They need to uh, exhort the younger people. And notice as a side note, he says, young women, um, um, older women with women, women with women, men with men. We'll talk about that later when we come to guidelines. But that's a safe thing to do. As you mentor, as you coach, as you nurture, you work along those lines. We'll talk about that. But he says, older people give into the lives of the younger people. And our young people need it. In Proverbs, Solomon continues in Proverbs 7, verse 7 to 9, he says, I saw, a young, I saw among the simple, a perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night. So he's saying, look, this young man, he had no understanding. And so he ended up going the wrong way. He ended up in the house of someone he's not supposed to be there. But what if this young man had the understanding? He would have kept himself away from going down there. Are you with me? That's why we need to pour into the lives of those younger to us. The wisdom, the understanding we've gained, let's pour in. Keep them out of trouble. Keep them out of going down the wrong path. And it is mutually enriching. Proverbs 20 verse 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. Talking about wisdom. Don't look at the color of the hair. <laughs> so the point is, the youth have strength, they have zeal, they have passion, they have energy. Uh, the older people, they have wisdom, they have experience, they have life lessons, they have insights, and they can mutually benefit and bless each other. Are you with me? And so if we have a community where this happens, we can really nurture young people in the faith. Number two, I've spent quite a bit of time on point one. The second benefit that we can have is we can raise up leaders. And like I said, leaders are so important to keeping the work going. I remember going back to my own experience. And this is going back, way back in time. When I was in my ninth to twelfth grade in school, during those days here in Bangalore, I was studying in Bishop Cotton's, and uh, I was leading four prayer groups. One was in my own school, Bishop Cotton's. I was leading a little prayer group between during the short break, 11 o'clock break. And then in the afternoons, I was leading a group at Ballon Boys School uh, four days a week. Once a week, I would go to cathedral school, I was leading a group there. And on Saturdays, I was leading a group in the Methodist church that I was part of, Richmond Town. So basically, I was leading these four groups uh, during those years, between my ninth to twelfth grade. I'm just pouring myself into the lives of these people, basically mostly young people, just my own age, getting together, studying the Bible, just pouring myself. At that time, nobody told me, you're supposed to develop leaders. I didn't know. And so, when I had to leave Bangalore to go to college, and to Manipal, all these four groups stopped. Nobody there to continue. 
Now, lives were impacted. Till today, there are people who come and say, you know, I gave my life to Christ during those, those three, four years. I'm saved. I'm serving God. All, wonderful things happened. But the point is, those four groups stopped the day I left. Nobody told me you're supposed to raise leaders. And so when I went to college in Manipal, I learned a big lesson. I said, God, if I'm going to start something here, the first thing I'm going to do is to look for somebody to continue this work. Because, of course, I've got to graduate, I'm going to graduate and leave. I'm not going to be staying there forever. So while I was doing engineering in Manipal, I started a student fellowship there. And the first thing I did was I need to find somebody who's going to continue this work after I leave. So I was praying, God, show me, who is this person? And towards the end of my third year, I found this young man. He was part of the medical college. So this was a student fellowship that had students from engineering, med medicine, law, dental, law, they all mixed together. So I found this young man from the medical college. He had a heart for God. So we'd spend time with him. Almost every Saturday after we had our fellowship, we'd sit down and talk. Sometimes on other days. Now, I did not know all these things about mentoring and coaching, none of that. I just knew that if the work was going to continue, there had to be another leader that we had to raise up. So whatever little understanding I had in those days in college, I just shared it with him, envisioned him. I said, this work has to grow. I'm seeing at least 200 students in this place. I'm going to be graduating next year, leaving, but you have to continue the work, and this is the vision. And sure enough, in May of 1990, when it was time for me to graduate, I brought him in front of the small group of people. I said, I'm leaving. He's going to take over. Prayed over him, appointed him. And he took over, and the work grew. It became, in reality, it became a student fellowship with more than 200 students. And even families started coming. And they, you know, they formally registered as a as a. A local church, and they appointed a local pastor. The work just went, went on beautiful. But I learned my lesson. The importance of raising, nurturing people, appointing leaders. In the United States, while doing my master's, I, was, uh, uh, I started an international students' Bible study for international students. And then uh, in New Jersey, I was working with a Korean Christian fellowship. So that was a student fellowship, about 300 plus Korean students. So you had one Indian student sitting there in this auditorium full of, you know, Korean students. But my role was to work with the leaders. So I used to spend time, especially, spent a lot of time with a young man, and he became the leader of that fellowship. I spent every Wednesday, we had an appointment. We would meet in the student activity center, 7 p.m. we'll meet, spend, you know, maybe an hour, two hours just studying the Bible, just pouring that word into him. And, uh, and he became the leader of that fellowship and spent time with other young men. But that was all uh, just an understanding. This is so important to pour yourself into somebody because that's how leaders are nurtured. Today, that, that man is, that young, ma young man is serving the Lord and doing, doing good work. After we got married, Amy and I, we spent time with another couple, a Hispanic, Spanish couple. They're from Ecuador in New Jersey. We worked with them. And we established a bilingual English-Spanish-speaking church, get all, put everything together, and we had to move. But we handed it off to them. 
And they took the work forward, and it was amazing to see that church thrive. They rented a warehouse, uh, you know, and they invited me for the inauguration. It was amazing to see the work that we started as a small little group now had become, you know, just amazing. They had rented a warehouse, changed, made it nice, a nice church, and uh, it was wonderful. But again, there, pouring into the life of another couple so that they could rise up and do the work of the Lord. And so after we came here, over the last 20 years or so, we've seen many young people rise up as leaders. Many of them have gone all over the world. Our worship team has nurtured so many young leaders, our worship leaders. Again, they've all dis been dispersed around the world. So we, we don't hold people forever. We, we can't do that. But the thing is, to some degree, it has been happening. We just need to see it happen more. Are you with me? That's how we need to see leaders. And Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was another young man that the Apostle Paul had nurtured. We will look at, we will examine that nurturing relationship, that mentoring relationship very carefully to draw lessons from it in, a, in another message. But Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He said, the things that you have learned from me, commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Others also. In other words, Timothy, what you've learned from me, I've nurtured you. I want you to pass it on to others so that they can pass it on to others. That's what must be happening in this community. Amen? Then let's move to the third, third reason. Now, why, why is this so important for us? Number three, because we want to pass on a spiritual legacy to succeeding generations. In Isaiah 59 and verse 21, are you all with me so far? Are you going to sleep? No. Number three, pass on spiritual legacy to succeeding generations. Isaiah 59 verse 21, the Lord said this. He said, as for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord from this time and forevermore. Look at God's heart. He says, the word and the anointing that I've given you must not leave you. Must not leave your children, must not leave your children's children, meaning, meaning it should go on to succeeding generations. That's the heart of God. So if we do this correctly in the local church, the ceiling of one generation will be the floor of the next generation. That means the next generation should start where we left off where we finished. Our high point is their starting point. If we do this correctly. Are you listening? But sadly, churches have failed. So why do you say churches have failed? Because what we normally see happening is there's a great ministry, wonderful. When the leader of that ministry goes, everything goes. And then somebody has to start again from scratch. It's almost like up, down, 
Start again. Up. Down. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Up. Finish. Up. Finish. It's got to go up like that. Every generation. That's the way it's supposed to be. If we do it right. And I hope we can do it right. That where one generation finishes, the next generation starts. The anointing and revelation, God said, that I've given to you must go on to your descendants. And to your descendants' descendants must go on. Pass it on. And in order to make that happen, we have to engage in this whole process of mentoring, coaching, and nurturing people. So let's bring some definition in place. What is mentoring, coaching, and nurturing? And for the purposes of our teaching, you see, in the corporate world, they would probably draw distinctions, find distinctions between mentoring and coaching and nurturing and all of that. But for our purposes, we're going to use them synonymously. And for our purposes, this is synonymous to discipleship, the biblical term, discipleship. Same thing. You're mentoring, you're coaching, you're nurturing somebody, you're discipling somebody. Same thing. And if you want to put it in a definition statement, we could put it something like this. We are talking about and when we speak about mentoring, coaching, and nurturing, we're talking about the engagement of the process where one individual assists another in their growth and development through training, role modeling, sharing knowledge, and providing emotional support. So you are training them, you're sharing your knowledge, you're modeling that life for them, and you're supporting them in their journey so that they can grow, they can develop, and hopefully be better than you. I say hopefully because some of the responsibility lies on them. They should have the drive to say, I want to be better than my pastor. I want to preach better than him. I want to serve better than him. Amen? You got to have that passion. It's not a competition. It's just that he's done a good job. He's laid the groundwork. Let me step on it and get up higher. That's a good motivation. It's not competition. So I want to go higher, go further than where he has gone or the person who's mentoring you has gone. So making it practical, what are the areas that some of us can be involved in? What areas can you mentor another individual? Think about these things. Spiritual growth. Can't see the monitor here, so I'll just use this. Spiritual growth. So you can help other people develop spiritually. Yeah, there may be people who come, come here, they don't know how to read the Bible. I mean, where do I start? Maybe they tried. They read Matthew chapter 1, and it was all about begatting, begatting, begatting. They closed it. They said, like, man, I don't understand this. So you've got to tell them the chapter 2, you know. So some people, they don't know how to read their Bible. You need to help them how to read their Bible. How do I pray? How? Do I fellowship with people? Or why is it important to go to church? So spiritual things. We need to help nurture people. Ministry. Developing people in the ministry. How to do ministry. How to serve. Sometimes people need a little push. They call them, come. Start volunteering. 
Oh, I don't know what to do. No, just be an usher. Just give a smile and a handshake. That's all you need. So you get people, pull them out of their comfort zone and get them involved. And ministry starts off that way. They may start doing something small, but from there they can grow, they can develop, and they can become leaders. And you can talk to some of the leaders here. They actually started out just doing setup. Today they are leaders. They're, you know, they're having ministry leadership position. Or marriage preparation. That's another area. So many young people say, oh, I don't know whom to get married to. Got three proposals here. Now, who, whom should I? Well, those of you who've got married, you know, just share. How did you do it? How did you navigate that whole journey, that whole stage of life? You know, so marriage preparation. How did you, uh, how did, what did you do to get ready for marriage? How much money did you have in the bank, you know? <laughs> now, what did you do to get ready? So that whole process of marriage preparation is an area where we could help nurture people. Marriage enrichment. You know, people are going through uh, challenges in their marriage. Those of you who've already been through that, you can share. Now, this is how we went through, how we went through that. We faced the same kind of problems. And, you know, and, and you'll be surprised that many problems people are facing, they're so common. Everybody else has had to go through the same thing. Have to journey through the same thing. You can share that. Think about parenting. Or taking care of your toddlers. Taking care of your teenagers. Taking care of young adults. Not care, but, you know, watching over your young adults or whatever. How do you do that? Well, those of us who have gone through that, we can share. Look, this is how we did it. This is what we learned. These are the mistakes we made. And nobody starts out right. We, we all go through the learning process. So that's an area we can nurture. Life skills. How do you manage money? How do you manage your time? How, what about your self-organization? How do you have a daily schedule? Be surprised. So many people with PhDs don't know how to do that. Because that's not taught in school or college. So talk about those things. You can mentor some people. And those things. Overcoming life's challenges. We all face different challenges in life. You can share how you overcame those things. Career choices. You know, how to make a resume. You can help somebody. How do you do it? How do you improve your resume? Uh, how do you make a choice if, you've been got, if you have three, four offers? How do you choose? Which offer do you take? All these things we can share. We can talk. They can help others if we've been through these things ourselves. Professional growth, growing professionally. How do I go up to the next level professionally? What, what should I do? Uh, and if you're in a particular industry, you already know where the industry is heading. You can tell somebody younger, you see, you, know, you need to position yourself like this because this is where the industry is heading in the next so many years. Position yourself, learn these skills. Or these are new things that are happening. Acquire those skills because that will position you for the future. Professional skills, entrepreneurship and business growth. These are things that we can all share. There are young people who are stepping out as entrepreneurs, and some of you have already made that journey. So you can turn around and share with them. And this is how I started. This is the struggle I went through. These are the things you've got to look out for. Are those who are building their businesses. Some of you have already done it. You can share with them. This is how you build a business. And one of the biggest challenges that 
we as believers face in the, work, in the professional world is, how do I take biblical principles and apply it? It's one thing to hear about it in church. It's one thing to read about it in the Bible. But how do I actually practice this in real life scenarios? That's where mentoring, coaching, and nurturing is so important. Are you listening? So really, there are tremendous opportunities for us to help each other. Lots of opportunities. Now, some of you, you say, Pastor, I'm a homemaker. Hey, start a Zoom cooking class. Enroll all the young men. Tell them you have to learn five dishes before you can get married. <laughs> I mean, that's bringing value into somebody's life. I mean, imagine if this young man knows how to cook at least five dishes before he gets married. His to-be wife would be so proud of him. And he knows how to cook. Right? But so if you're a homemaker, that's something you can do. And nowadays, you know, thank God for technology, you can be on Zoom and run your cooking class on Zoom. Get them to sign up from their home, their kitchen. They can be anywhere in Bangalore City, and they can learn cooking from you. Good idea? Come on. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> so, so many things can be done. We can pour into the lives of people. I'm going to pause here today. Um, there was more material I wanted to cover, but uh, we will pick this up next Sunday. Actually, 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 um, let me just go a little forward. Worship team, you come. Let me share one more point so that we'll be on par with the 8 o'clock service. So there are many examples in the Bible uh, on mentoring, coaching, and nurturing. You see Moses and Joshua. You see Elijah and Elisha, David and Solomon, Jesus and the 12 disciples, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus, and so on. We will look at some of these examples in detail. But before I close, and this is where, uh, this is the last point I shared at the 8 o'clock service. I want to share this with us. There's something very important between David and Solomon. David and Solomon. When Solomon was appointed king, this is what David had to say in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 1. Are you all with me? 1 Chronicles 29 verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. So David's appointed Solomon as the king, as his successor, his own son. He's got this big task in front of him to build the temple. And David recognizes Solomon is young and inexperienced. But David had done something as a father. He had taught Solomon something very important. Very important. And Solomon, reflecting on this, he writes about this in Proverbs chapter 4. And Solomon says this. Proverbs 4 verse 1 through 9. So Solomon is speaking. 
he's speaking to younger people he says hear my children the instruction of our father and give un- attention to no understanding for i give you good doctrine do not forsake my law look at verse 3 very carefully when i was my father's son tender and the only one in the sight of my mother he also taught me and said to me let your heart retain my words keep my commandments and live what were the next words read it with me please verse 5 get wisdom get understanding the solomon is saying now he's talking to young people he say young people listen to me i'm speaking to you as a father he says i remember when i was a child when i was a young man this is what my father taught me this is what my father taught me he says my father said to me that is david taught solomon he must have drilled it into solomon the solomon get wisdom get understanding you can imagine almost every day solomon get wisdom i don't know in his anger maybe when david's angry with solomon solomon get some wisdom man i don't know how he said it get some understanding man but that was drilled into solomon and he goes on it's interesting to read verse 6 do not forsake her she will preserve you love her she will keep you verse 7 wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom in all you're getting get understanding exalt her she will promote you she will bring you to honor when you embrace her she will place on your head an ornament of grace a crown of glory she will deliver to you not but david said solomon the one thing you need get wisdom get understanding wisdom is the main thing if you get it she will exalt you she will give you all the glory all the wealth everything you need solomon get wisdom get wisdom get wisdom that's the main thing so david drilled it into solomon so you can think about this david is appointing solomon as king he recognizes this guy man is young is inexperienced i've built this kingdom for 40 years and this guy is stepping into my shoes he's young is experienced but at the back of his mind he said but i've taught him right and so when god appears to solomon says solomon whatever you want you ask i'll give you and remember this was in his sleep what would you ask in your sleep jalebis so in his sleep god is coming to solomon solomon whatever you want you ask i'll give you and what does solomon ask god give me wisdom how did he know he had to ask for wisdom his father taught him when he was young solomon there's one thing you need to get get wisdom that's the principal thing that's the main thing if you get wisdom you'll have everything else 
point is this if we pour into our young people today we can entrust them with any responsibility if we teach them right we can entrust them and they won't go wrong amen that's why we as a community we need to pour into our young people we need to pour into each other's lives we can take things forward let's rise to our feet we'll pick this up next sunday please I want you to take a moment just to pray and say, God, make yourself available. Lord, I'm ready just to share with somebody else whatever I've learned. This is not very complicated. We're going to learn a few more things in the next sermons, how to do it. So we learn all that. But today, just be willing. Say, God, I want to pour into somebody's life. Whatever I've learned, I can share. It's not complicated. Make me a blessing, God. Make me a blessing for somebody. And we're also going to take some time just to pray. I want to speak blessing, speak, speak God's miracles, God's healing, God's deliverance over your life and mine. Maybe you came in this morning expecting God to touch you. And as I speak and just declare, expect the work of God to take place, healing to take place, deliverance to take place, miracles to take place. So let's take a few moments. You pray, you say, God, I make myself available. And then you open your heart. And if you've come here this morning expecting to receive from God something for your own life, just open your heart as the worship team leads. After that, I'll just come and pray. So break through, break through all my doubts and break through, break through all my fears and break through that I may worship you. And break through, break through all my pain and break through all my guilt and my shame and break through like only you can do you are brighter than my darkest night stronger than my toughest fight just one touch from you So break through, break through all my doubts and break through, break through all my fears and break through that I may worship you. 
gospel is good news good news good news good news means our sins can be forgiven we can be healed we can be delivered we don't have to stay where we are but he comes and he changes everything good news God is here God has come to do wonderful things and so we're gonna pray there is the gospel the gospel is the power of God to heal, to deliver, to set free. As we pray right now, I just want you to look to Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. He's the bondage breaker. He's the miracle worker. He's the way maker. He's the one who gives us breakthrough. Amen. So if you've come here this morning and you say, God, I need you to do something in my life. I need a door open. I need a, a bondage in my life broken. I need this closed door to be open in my life. I need you to work, come through God for, my, for me today. As I pray, I want you to look to the Lord Jesus. He is the miracle worker. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. No demon can stand by the power of that name. No devil can stand. No oppressing spirit can stand against that name. No tormenting spirit can stand against that name. Bondages will be broken in the name of Jesus. You will be set free by the authority and the power that's in the mighty name of Jesus. And I just want you to expect the Lord to do something for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, even as I stand before these people, in the name of your son, Jesus, Father, I speak healing over them because your word says that by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed. And therefore, in the name of Jesus, I command sicknesses and diseases to be healed in the name of Jesus. Father, let your healing power, the power of your mighty Holy Spirit, flow through their bodies and make them whole right now. Even those watching online as they connect in prayer, Lord, let your power touch them and heal them right now. In the name of Jesus. And in the authority of that name, I come against every tormenting, oppressing, unclean spirit. And I command you, foul devils, I command you in the name of Jesus to loose the people. Come out of their circumstances. Come out of their lives. Come out of their finances. Come out of their habits. Come out of their desires. Come out of their emotions. In the name of Jesus. And let the people of God be free. Let them experience breakthroughs in their life situations, in their finances in their workplaces, in their homes, in their families, in their marriages. Let the mighty work of God take place. Let miracles take place. 
Right now, in the name of Jesus, I command chains to be broken, bondages to be broken, for people to be set free from everything that torments, oppresses, controls them. You are free in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for your healing work, for your delivering work, for your miracle working. Power, Lord, release in the lives of your people. Thank you, Father. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. What we want to encourage you to do is when you experience the work of God taking place, and you receive it, you thank God for it, make sure you share a testimony. Send an email to testimony at apcw.org. Share your testimony. Share what God has done in your life. So that we can share with others, celebrate with you, and say, this is what God has done. Amen? So when God does a good work in you, a good work in your life, take a moment to share a testimony, and we will celebrate with you, rejoice with you. If there's anyone here this morning, you've been invited by a friend, or you just happened to come in, but if you've never received Jesus Christ into your life, I want to take a moment to do that, to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus into your life. And it was a very simple thing a long, long time ago. I was in my eighth grade in school. And a non-Christian friend, we used to play football together. He was, and we were part of the football team. One afternoon, he said he's going to the chapel. And I was surprised because he was a non-Christian. Why is he going to chapel? And I, he asked me, do you want to come with me? I said, okay, I'll come with you. So I went with him. I still remember that afternoon sat down in the chapel and there was a teacher there he told me to come back the next day so I went back the next day then he, he took me aside and he said Ashish have you received Jesus I thought I did I wasn't sure I just said yes <laughs> then he said is your name written in the Lamb's book of life now that one I had not heard <laughs> so I said I don't know then he said okay I'm going to pray with you ask God to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Fine. So he prayed a simple prayer. So Lord, he led me in a prayer. Lord, write, I, I write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I didn't necessarily understand it. But something changed in my life. I didn't feel anything great. But from that day, I went back to the chapel. Nobody told me to go. I went back. Went home. I started reading my Bible. Started praying. Because something changed. It was a small prayer, not even five minutes. It was maybe two minutes, but something changed in my life. So I'm going to lead us in a small prayer. It's not the same prayer, but just a simple prayer. Something can change. Your life can change in this moment. If you've never prayed a prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life, if you've never prayed a prayer and said, God, forgive me my sins and I want to follow you. If you've never done that, just pray this prayer with me and let the Lord do this work for you. Let's pray. If you've never prayed, this, prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into your life and I ask him to forgive you your sins, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Make me a child of God. 
and help me to follow you and you alone the rest of my life. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Anybody you prayed this prayer with me for the first time, you want to see your hands, so please wave your hand at me. Anybody, you prayed this prayer with me for the very first time here in church. Anyone here? Pray this prayer with me. Just wave your hand. We want to celebrate with you. Anybody? You did this with me for the very first time. We want to celebrate with you. Anyone here? Okay, I don't see any hand, but in case you did, in case you pray, and you said, Lord, you prayed this prayer with me, before you leave, on your way out, we'll have our usher standing there with this blue bag. So you go to one of the ushers that has this blue bag and say, I prayed that prayer. I want to receive that bag. They'll give that bag to you. There's a little card that says decision card. Please write your name and number on it. And it'll help us be in touch with you and give you some instructions on how to use that bag. We're going to close in prayer. As soon as we dismiss, pastors, please make yourself available here to pray with people. If you need personal prayer, please come to any one of our pastors. They'll be here to pray and minister to you. We'll be happy to do that. Shall we close? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.